the man was awakened for the fourth time that morning. Come on, get up, get out of bed, it's time to go to church. And the man grumpily replied, I don't want to go to church. I'm not going today. I'm staying in bed. I'm not going to that church. Those people don't like me, and I don't like them, and I'm not going to church. And she said, no, you're going to church. Get up. You have to go. He said, give me three good reasons why, why I should get up and go to church. He said, number one, because it's Sunday. Number two, because I'm your mother. And number three, because you're the pastor. Now get up. Man, I sure hope that's not a true story. Whew, if, if that were a true story, I think that church might be in trouble. You know, there are uh, certain times where we can get ourselves in trouble as the church. And, and I think we're going to see this morning, what, what I want to highlight this morning in the text I'm going to be preaching from is that sometimes we get ourselves into trouble as the church because our view of God is too small. I think sometimes our view of God is too small. And so um, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. You know, J.B. Phillips wrote a book 70 years ago now, still relevant, 70 years ago he wrote a book with that very title, Your God is Too Small. And again, I wonder if sometimes in the church um, we have too small a view of God. I, I know personal experience, I've been guilty of that often. My view of God has been too small at times uh, in my spiritual journey, for sure. And and again, I just want to remind us this morning that it's so important for us as the church to realize, maybe more so than ever today, that our God is not too small. We're going to look at the story of the transfiguration from, from Luke's gospel. This is Luke 9. Verses 28 to 36, I'm going to be reading from the, the NIV, the New International Version. And, and as we always do when we read from the Gospels, if you're physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as I read for us. Once again, this is Luke 9, verses 28 to 36. Jesus took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Father, thank you for the truth and power of your word today, and we pray that you would speak the truth of our word, of your word to our hearts, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. You know, I'm just going to um, go through this passage and, and, and highlight what I see Um, as four uh, different ideas that we can take and apply to our lives in this text. 
And the first of those four ideas this morning is to very simply give all your problems to God. Give all problems to God, big and small. Give all problems to God. And once again, Jesus is the perfect example of this for us. Jesus always gave all of his problems to God. He gave us the perfect example of how to live and relate to our Heavenly Father. What is Jesus often doing? Going off by himself to pray, going up on the mountainside to pray. Jesus knew how important it was to give all of his, all of his problems to his Heavenly Father. Anytime Jesus faced a problem, we always find that he turns to prayer. Before he was tempted by Satan, he fasted and prayed in the, in the desert for 40 days. Before he went to his death on the cross, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before in prayer. So it should be no surprise to us that before this transfiguration event, Jesus is going up the mountain to pray. You know, Matthew and Mark also record this story of the transfiguration in, in their gospel, but Luke is the only gospel writer who makes it a point to mention that Jesus went up the mountain specifically to pray. Um, preacher and author and commentator Fred Craddock says this about that. He says, The major events and critical moments in the life of Jesus were, according to Luke, marked by prayer. So Jesus always brought his problems to God, to his heavenly Father in prayer, and we need to remember to do the same. We need to remember to bring all of our problems to God because when we fail to do that, when we fail to do that, it, it, it may be because our view of God is too small. A lady once approached uh, Dr. G. Campbell Morgan. He was a British evangelist and author uh, in the early 1900s. A lady once approached him and said, you know, I only take small things to God because I don't want to worry him with the big things. And Dr. Morgan's response to her was, um, ma'am, everything you bring to God is small. Dr. Morgan was certainly not guilty of having a God that was too small because any problem we bring to God is small compared to what he's already handled, compared to what he's already dealt with. We are talking about a great and awesome God and that word awesome, I know I've said this before, that word awesome, we, there's a lot of words we overuse, right, in our everyday life. But the word awesome is defined as that which requires God as an explanation. So, my son Malachi, you've, you've, you've got some pretty cool shoes. They ain't awesome, okay? They're, they're cool, they're purple, they're, 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 they're pretty sweet, but they ain't awesome. Awesome, that which requires God as an explanation, God created the heavens and the earth. He created you and I and all of humankind. He defeated death by rising from the grave. Our God is not small. We have a big and awesome God. You know, and, and, and I'll say this. I think the bigness of our God is so much more than we can comprehend. We, we, we say we serve a big God. We say we serve an awesome God. Folks, I don't think we even begin to scratch the surface of understanding and comprehending how big and how awesome our God is. So number one, we bring all of our problems to God. He can handle it. He can handle it all. The second idea we can take from this text is, is that we allow God to change us. We allow God to change us. You know, the most obvious thing that happens in this transfiguration event is, is the dramatic change in Jesus' appearance 
on the mountain. Verse 29 says this, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothing became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now, now why does Jesus call uh, Peter, James, and John with him up on the mountain to witness this transfiguration event. I mean, the, the disciples, they're really minor characters in the scene. They're, they're very clearly overshadowed by, by this uh, miraculous presence of, of both Moses and Elijah. So, so why does Jesus have these three disciples with him up on the mountain to witness this? I would argue that the disciples are here so that this event would change them. This event is meant to change them. I, I honestly believe that's Jesus' intention in having them witness this. He wants them to be changed. If any of you have seen uh, the movie Shadowlands, um, which depicts the life of C.S. Lewis, in that movie there's a scene where one of Lewis's colleagues uh, comes to him and asks him, um, the question of whether or not his prayers were getting God to help his dying wife. And, and C.S. Lewis's response to his colleague was, I, I do not pray to change God. I pray because it changes me. When, when we come to God in prayer, he, he changes our perspective. He, he changes us. <laughs> he, he somehow brings our will into alignment with his will. That's the whole deal in prayer. We are the ones who are changed. And on the mountain of prayer, we need to allow our view of God to change in order for him to change us. We, we allow God to change us. Our God is not small. We can't put God in a box uh, that we create of our own imaginations and think that we have him all figured out. And, and I know that I have been guilty of this, and I'm assuming <clears throat> several of you have as well. Um, you know, as Pastor Dan has been preaching through this school of prayer for the past several weeks, we've been talking with the teens on Wednesday nights about prayer as well. We've been learning and, and talking about prayer. And, and one of our discussions a few weeks ago was, was on this view of prayer as God, uh, as a genie in a bottle or a, or a genie in a lamp. You know, you rub the lamp, the genie pops out and grants, grants us three wishes. And I think sometimes we fall into that thinking about prayer. That is not a healthy view of prayer. We don't rub the lamp and God pops out and we say, God, okay, I want this, this, and this. And God, God grants us three wishes and answers three prayers. That's not how it works. That's not a healthy view of God. God is so much bigger that we can begin to comprehend and understand. We don't get to put him in a box and decide how he's going to answer our prayers and meet our needs. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We serve a great and awesome and powerful God and so we need to allow him to change us, to change our perspective. The third idea we can take from this passage is, is that we come down off the mountain to a world full of needs. Come down from the mountain to a world that is full of needs. Notice what Peter says in verse 33. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, this is wonderful. We will make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. In other words, 
Peter's words, Peter's suggestion was not what God had in mind. (laughs) He wants them to come down from the mountain. After witnessing this mountaintop experience, he wants them to come down from the mountain to a world that is full of needs. If you look at the very um, passage, verses 37 to 45, you'll see that when Peter, John, James, and Jesus come down off the mountain, they heal a boy um, who's possessed by an evil spirit. And if they, if they hang out up on the mountain for a week or two, what, what, what happens to that little boy? I don't know. Back in Exodus, when Moses is spending time up on Mount Sinai and he, he, his face is, is shining so brightly with such radiance and glory that, that, he, uh, that he has to wear a veil right over his face because the people were afraid of him. But what does Moses do after that event? He, he comes down off the mountain and serves others. You know, we like, we like to stay up on the mountaintop, right? We, we all love the mountaintop experiences. We know that's fun. We know that's good. We also know how difficult it is in the valleys, right? We don't like spending time in the valley because it's difficult, it's hard. <clears throat> so we wanna stay up on the mountaintop. Why do we want to stay up on the mountaintop? Because our view of God is too small. That's why we want to stay up on the mountaintop. We get so focused and and absorbed with what God is doing for us, we completely forget about the fact of, of what he wants to do through us. He gives us those mountaintop experiences for a time but he wants us to come down off the mountain and serve a world that is full of needs. We know that God can change our life. We're, we, we believe that. But do we believe God can change our neighbor's life? Or, or is our view of God too small for that? Failing to carry a burden for others, especially the lost, that comes from a view of God that's too small. Prejudice, racism, that comes from a view of God that's far too small. Fearfulness, that comes from a view of God that's too small. Our God is not small. We serve a big and awesome God, and we need to remember And remind ourselves that Jesus was born, he died, and he rose again for all the world. Not just you and I. Not just church folks. For all mankind. Jesus died for all, not for some. Let me take a minute or two here to talk about Peter. You know, Peter gets a bad rap. And, you know, maybe... Maybe it's a little bit deserved. You know, as we read through the scriptures about Peter... um, Open mouth, insert foot, right? I mean, that's kind of what we associate with Peter. He, he, he is always just sharing what's on his mind. Have, have any of you seen um, this series on YouTube, The Chosen? Have any of you seen some of that? Oh, my goodness, so good. Several of you have seen this. There's, there's this one scene that I love. I, I, I could not stop laughing when I saw this. There's a crowd of people. I forget the context of what's going on, but Peter, Peter says something to the crowd to explain um, 
his position on this and, and, and the character portraying Jesus, he says, um, Peter, it does not take God wisdom to know what you're thinking. Just the, just the, the way they take the liberty of, 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 of expressing Peter always opening his mouth, inserting his foot, and freely speaking what's on his mind. So again, you know, um, Peter gets a bad rap, but maybe some of that is, is, uh, is earned. But if you look at the context um, preceding this passage that we're, that we're looking at, P- Peter has really been on an emotional roller coaster, up and down, highs and lows. Um, Peter's really been struggling with the things that he has said concerning Jesus um, compared to the things that he is discovering from and learning from Jesus. And he realizes there's, there's something off there. He realizes there's a disconnect. One minute he's up in the air, the next minute he's down on the ground, one minute he's declaring, you are Christ the Messiah. The next minute he's hearing Jesus say, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. So Peter's on this emotional roller coaster, up and down, highs and lows. One minute he's, he's, he's risen to the heights of, of declaration, the, 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 the next moment he's down in the depths of despondency, realizing how bad he's got this whole thing wrong. So Peter is on this emotional roller coaster, and, and believe it or not, I think that's good news for us. Why do I say that? I think we can relate to Peter. I know I can. I think we can relate to, to Peter in terms of the highs and lows, the, the ups and the downs. Um, you know, as they say, if you have managed to find stable air, if you have managed to find turbulent free air, you know, I'm thinking about commercial airline pilots. How many times have we heard, we have now reached 33,000 feet and we've reached turbulent free air and I'm gonna, we're gonna turn off the seatbelt sign and no sooner do they turn off the seatbelt sign and you hear ding, ding, oh sorry folks, please be seated, put on your seatbelt, we've hit some turbulence. Every time I've ever flown, that's been my experience, every time. In the Christian life, somebody once said, oh, once you reach a certain altitude in your Christian life, well, it's just smooth sailing from from then on. I don't buy into that. That's not been my experience. I I don't read that anywhere in Scripture. My experience has been highs and lows. Highs and lows, ups and downs. I, I I think we can relate to Peter on this one. The Christian life is a series of highs and lows. One, one minute we feel like we've ascended to the mountaintop, and the next minute we're down in the depths. High, highs and lows. There, there was an English author in the 19th century named Octavius Winslow, and he wrote about this very thing. I, I wrote down I, uh, one of his quotes. I love this. He says, The Christian life is torturous and checkered in its course. The royal path to glory is a divine mosaic paved with stones of diverse lines. Today it is a depth almost soundless. Tomorrow it will be a height almost scaleless. I don't see any turbulent free air in those statements. (laughs) That sounds like ups and downs, highs and lows to me. So let's not be too critical of Peter here. He, he's been on a serious emotional roller coaster, and, and, and so maybe he gets a pass here. So finally this morning, 
The fourth idea that we can take from this passage is, is very simply, we need to keep listening to Jesus. Keep listening to Jesus. After we come down from the mountain of prayer, we need to keep listening to Jesus. In verse 35, God closes the transfiguration story by saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Those words may sound familiar. Where, where else do we hear those words? Jesus' baptism, right? Jesus is baptized. We hear God's voice from the heavens declare, this is my son. Listen to him. Same words. You know, many of us um, are not shy when it comes to talking to God. <laughs> uh, many of us have our um, role in prayer of talking to God. We've got that down fine. Some of us are expert talkers when it comes to talking to God in prayer. We tell God how we feel, what we want, when we want it, how we want him to do it. Right? We're, we're, we're pretty good at that. But the problem is that prayer is much more than talking to God. It is also listening to God. And I would argue, I, I, I would argue it's even more so listening to God than talking. Notice God doesn't say, this is my son, talk to him. <laughs> he says, this is my son, listen to him. In, in our prayer life, we need to spend more time listening to God and maybe a little bit less time talking to God. Talk, talking is the easy part of prayer. We, 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 we have our list of, of folks who are struggling. We're interceding for folks. We, we know our, our needs, and, and that's the easy part. The talking to God in prayer is the easy part. It's the listening 24 hours a day to the Spirit's leading. That can be the difficult part. Again, we've been talking with the, the teens on Wednesday nights about this idea of listening to God and and I know a few teenagers have time attention issues and concerns in terms of sitting still quietly for a very long time. That can be a challenge for a lot of teenagers. So I challenged them. I said, do this. Start off with 15 seconds. Just be quiet and silent before God for 15 seconds. Do that for a few days, then bump it up to 30 seconds, then bump it up to a minute. See how long you can go and just sit quietly before God. And, and we've challenged them to just simply pray, God, teach me to hear your voice. He's probably not gonna speak to you in an audible voice, probably not, but he will speak to you. Sit quietly before God in your prayer time and ask him to speak to you. He will absolutely answer that prayer and speak to you. If we're not listening to God more than talking to God, that's probably because our view of God is too small. Let's not be guilty of that. Let's not be guilty of that. We, we serve an awesome and powerful God, a very, very big God, bigger than we can comprehend and understand. So this morning, let's not forget the greatness of our God. Let's not forget the incredible love of our God that he wants to communicate with us and guide us and direct us, helping us through any and every situation we're gonna face in life. And let's be so careful to listen to that still, small voice. Amen? Amen. We're gonna move into our time of communion. And, and again, um, if there are any folks, I think we have about 10 
And there's more in the back as well. Thank you, Tanya. If anybody needs elements, just slip your hand up and Tanya or um, one of our ushers in the back can help you. This is both, just so you know, the bread and juice together. So take one cup and you'll have both elements there. I'm going to read through the communion liturgy and then we will invite you to, to hold on to those elements until we are ready to all partake together. The communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. The supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. All those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins, and believing in Christ for salvation are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and may be made one by the Spirit. And I will also add, you do not have to be a member of this church to receive communion. All right, we practice open communion in the Church of the Nazarene. So if you identify with the statement that I just read, if you desire to receive grace, I don't know anybody who doesn't want to receive grace, if you desire to receive the grace of God, you're invited and you should join us and participate, please. Let's confess our faith, to, faith together. Repeat after me, please. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And so we pray. Holy God, we gather at this, your table, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins, and we live in the hope of his coming again. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed... He took bread, gave thanks, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, when the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take the bread in your hand? The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken for you, 
May it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Let us eat together in remembrance that Christ died for all. Now, would you take the cup? The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, shed for you and for me, may it preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Let us drink together in remembrance that Christ died for all and be thankful. Let us pray. Father God, by your spirit, make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world until Jesus comes again in final victory. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in his strength today. Amen. God bless you.